Hey, hey, and welcome to The 40s Formula, your go-to place for insightful discussions on navigating the 40s and thriving in this transformative decade. We're your hosts, Jasmine and Amanda, two women that are passionate about exploring the challenges and adventures that come with turning 40 and what lies ahead. Our guest today, Dr. Tash Mirandu, is a British-trained family doctor with experience in both the UK and here in Singapore. She's a member of both the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine and the British Menopause Society, and she's developed a well-deserved reputation as the go-to doctor for women navigating the challenges and changes of menopause. Menopause is a transformative phase for many women and is a topic that isn't often discussed openly. So whether you're approaching this stage in the midst of it or simply curious about what it entails, we invite you to listen to this conversation with Dr. Tash Mirandu. Menopause. Now, I was trying to think of an analogy as to how I can describe it because I started going through it when I was 36 years old. And the one thing that popped to mind was that ride in Universal Studios, the Jurassic Park one. You know, you're on there and it's going around quite smoothly and everything's fine. And you think, you know what? I've got the hang of life. I know exactly what I'm doing, but you know something's coming. You don't know when it's (laughs) going to come and you don't know how bad it's going to be. And I feel like that's what menopause is like. (laughs) What would you say? (laughs) I couldn't agree more. I think this is one of the, I wouldn't even say issues, but one of the things we sort of have to really battle is each person's different and each woman's experience is different. Most will be fine, mild to moderate symptoms. If at all, there'll be some who just go through it, breeze through it, don't even realize they've been through the menopause until one day they go, oh, I haven't had a period in 12 months. Oh, I guess I've been through it. Uh, and for those patients, I usually say, let's not talk too much about that. <laughs> maybe, maybe we say, right, what have you done right in order to? <laughs> it's not just about your genes. But you're right. It's very individualized. And this is why it's so important to talk about it. And for for women, for people in general to know more um, so that we can deal with it and look at best ways of managing. Quality of life is what I go for. And that's the main aim with managing perimenopause and menopause. I remember I was watching TV. I was 36 years old. The twins were babies. And um, I felt like this hot wave just come over me. And I was like, Jesus, what is going on? I remember putting on the air con and then mm. probably within about 30 seconds, I was cold. I was like, oh, that was weird. I felt like I was having a hot flush. And I joked to my husband, I think I'm going through menopause. And then it was like, oh, shit. So I booked a doctor's appointment and lo and behold, I was. So obviously I experienced the hot flushes and I also got the night sweats. What other symptoms do women tend to get or can get during per- the perimenopausal phase? It's such a vast list. I mean, we're probably at over 70 plus symptoms now. So it's very hard to, I know. And it can be, you know, it can be as subtle as, oh, I've got some joint pain or or, my hearing's changing. I've got some tinnitus, which is ringing in the ears. Generally speaking, what we tend to do is is broadly categorize. So if we say physical symptoms, so these are your vasomotor symptoms, so the hot flushes, night sweats, things like palpitations, your joint pains, headaches, breast tenderness. Also, estrogen plays an important role with your hair, your nail and your skin. So just subtle changes there. Sleep issues and unfortunately weight gain and in all the wrong places. Looking at it from a cognition point of view, so this is your brain health, uh, brain fog, forgetfulness, inability to focus or concentrate. Imagine working, you're managing life, a family, um, trying to tackle all of that. 
you're looking at you know short term memory recall which can get affected as well your mood changes anxiety impatience irritability um tough dealing with day to day life as it is sometimes yeah. and then when you add to that tearfulness as well and then something that we as women really ignore are sort of urinary sexual and vaginal symptoms there's a condition called genitourinary symptoms of the menopause and that's something that really affects women so you're looking at recurrent urinary tract infections vaginal dryness discharge incontinence not forgetting low sex drive poor libido um which we just go oh you know what it's part and parcel of life so we're just going to deal with it nobody should deal with that Yeah, I think you get to this point, you know, you're in your 40s, you're busy, you're a mum, you've either got teenagers who are going through puberty or you've got little kids and you know they're just driving you nuts. And you're kind of and you're just like, I'm so busy, I just don't have the time to think about sex. But how, you know, how can they tell whether it's hormones or just their lifestyle? Yeah. It's very difficult because we're very good as women at making excuses. So we'll always find a reason or to come up with a reason as to why we can't do something or why we feel in a certain way. I think it's specifically a very significant drop in sexual desire, sexual function, inability to have sex in a sense as well. Um and I think it's again really thinking back on things, looking at how things were versus what has changed and getting the help you need early. Do you, do you get clients who say it's almost like it's an overnight thing or does it come in gradually? It's usually a gradual process. There are some symptoms that can just hit you like a ton of bricks. So your um, hot flashes, your night sweats, as Jasmine, you were mentioning. Um, but there are other symptoms which can be very subtle. So change in your memory, your ability to focus or concentrate, your sleep. You're not going to gain 15 kilos overnight. So from a weight gain point of view, as well, that's something really to keep an eye on. So I've been told that perimenopausal symptoms can last anywhere between 5 and 15 years. Now that's a that's a scary number. A scary time frame to sort of go through. What can we do to help manage all of this? <laughs> with the with the perimenopause, yes, the average timeline is about 7 years, but it can be anywhere between 5 to 10, sometimes 5 to 15 years. And it's not that the symptoms are disastrous from the get go can start very subtly and then build up uh, or it could just be very subtle and people manage for me the main stay is that prevention side and what we can do about it and i think the two of you would know more uh, really in a sense from um, a nutrition point of view and the lifestyle medicine side Yeah, and I'll tell you, you know, that 5 to 15 years mm. timeline when you were listing off some of those symptoms, I was like, gosh, a lot of that sounds like pregnancy. You know, I'm 22 yep. weeks pregnant right now. A lot of that sounds, you know, the brain fog mm. and, and sweating in general sounds familiar. Uh, but I know it's going to end, right? I know that I'm going to deliver that baby and there's the end. Mm -hmm. But I do think in a way, and tell me if you think I'm crazy, that pregnancy is almost like your first preparation for the impact of what hormones can do to your mm -hmm. body. Of course, I mean PMS and, and periods are the very first. Yeah. Pregnancy though is that I feel this preparation of of a time when hormones affect you in a way that you absolutely cannot control. And it changes your body and it changes your mind and mm -hmm. it does all of these things to you in a way that um 
preparation and prevention can only go so far. But that being said, I think that there needs to be better awareness of the role, and this is what I do, right, of fitness and nutrition in preventing some of these symptoms, right? We know that a higher protein intake can help prevent some of the vasomotor symptoms. We know that having more muscle mass can help you have an easier time through your perimenopausal period. How do you work with patients to to encourage those lifestyle changes before you jump into different types of treatments? Oh, I love that you mentioned my favorite word, protein. Hey, Amanda, picture this. You're in your 40s. I am. You are. You're working, you're raising kids, you're heavily pregnant, and you're hungry. Yep, that's my everyday. But you're not going to feed yourself and your family any old crap. No, and that's exactly why I use the Meat Club. Seriously. The Meat Club is your premier online source for top-quality Australian and New Zealand produce right here in Singapore. And if you're tired of the endless struggle of family meal planning, guess what? The Meat Club subscription service delivers high-quality meats direct to your door. And we have a little treat for our listeners. As a new customer, you can get $12 off by using the discount code TFF12. And there's no minimum spend. Discounts are only valid through the website, themeatclub.com.sg. For more updates, recipes, and special offers, don't forget to follow The Meat Club on Instagram at The Meat Club SG. That's The Meat, M-E-A-T-C-L-U-B-S-G. Now back to the show. <laughs> I don't know. We're protein, protein fan club. Is it? Excellent. Uh, <laughs> um, you made a very good point there about pregnancy, but not forgetting menarche, which is when you first start your period. So these are the main stages. We're in a way good at talking about, oh, when your period first starts, here's what you look out for. It's also the teenage hormones going up and down. Or pregnancy. Roughly, here's what you can expect. Here's a lot of support. But then what? It just stops there. So this has been the issue is we have those two big stages in life and then everyone forgets about what comes after. And especially with pregnancy. And as women, we're getting pregnant later on in life. So that surge, you know, in hormones sometimes can almost trigger things off. So it's looking at that surge in hormones, then it suddenly drops post-pregnancy. And then depending, are you breastfeeding, all of that, it plays a huge role. From a lifestyle point of view, it's never too late to start. So it's something that I'm a firm believer in. I'm doing a lot of extra work for it as well. And it's really looking at the six pillars of lifestyle medicine. So for me, sleep is number one. Because if we're not sleeping, so quality, quantity Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, and consistency, that's automatically going to make us feel more tired the next day. We're going to consume more calories. We're not going to want to exercise, etc. It's this vicious cycle. Nutrition, looking at things. So also with hormonal surges, it's looking at how nutritionally can we improve our phytoestrogens, our progesterones, our testosterones. A lot of it is protein-based. So your, your soys, your edamames, your lean meats, your fish, uh, looking at flax seeds, a uh, little bit of dark chocolate, you know, not a bad thing. <laughs> I'm all I'm about that up. intervention. Yeah. <laughs> all about the chocolate, definitely. Um, but also the exercise. It's not about going for runs and doing massive HIIT workouts. You need to lift weights. Girl, preach it. Say it again. Yeah. You have to lift weights <laughs> yeah. and safely. It's not about suddenly showing up at a gym and trying to deadlift 80 kilos or 100 kilos. Gradually build it up because, again, with the more muscle mass you have, increases your basal metabolic rate. That, unfortunately, the fact that you know things can slow down a little bit as we get older with the hormones going up and down, 
all of this can just help to counteract that and give us the best chance uh, to have as good a quality of life as possible. Yeah, I had I recently wrote a blog and it's called "Why Hit Is Shit for, for <laughs> Women Over Forty." For women yeah. over forty, uh, yeah. I just I don't <laughs> think there's that big of a role for that style of workout. But somehow that's the more popular workout these days, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm confused as to how you know those two messages have gotten so crossed. Yeah. I think it's there for the right person at the right time, and it's doing it correctly based. It's every, all of this is very individualized, but getting that zone two training in, getting your walks in, getting your bike time in, cross trainer, and really looking at, and I'm not saying everyone needs to be paying to get a personal trainer or join a fancy gym. There are lots of resources online, you know, go on YouTube, lots of exercise programs. Just start with bodyweight exercises at home, five, 10 minutes, and then build it up. And as you start to enjoy it more and you start to see the benefits, automatically that behavior change comes in and you want to do more and more, which means then you're going to look at your nutrition even more. You're going to sleep better. Your mental health's going to be better. You're going to want to do things socially. I mean, Singapore has lots of places to walk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We are in a so, walking city. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Spoil for choice. Um, and also, if you smoke, stop smoking. If you drink, look at how much you're drinking. Cut back. Today's World Temperance Day, um, which is basically about moderation and looking at cutting back and stopping alcohol. So just thought I'd mention it since I it's the 3rd that. of October. Amanda's already there, aren't you? Like? <laughs> yeah, okay. I, you know, here's my halo. I've stopped alcohol entirely for 22 weeks. <laughs> I actually feel like I have cut back loads. And I don't know if it has coincided with the whole perimenopausal thing. But for me, I know how alcohol affects my sleep. Mm-hmm. And like you, sleep is number one for me. And I know that, you know, if I have more than one drink, I'm not sleeping. So I'd rather just not have a poor night's sleep. Plus, then I've got to deal with the kids as well. So it's kind of balancing everything out. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think it's important to make... So, for example, you know, you said that you know alcohol in, interferes with your sleep. I know that alcohol interferes with my muscle protein synthesis. So that's something for me that's non-negotiable, yeah. right? It's like I know that if I'm in a phase where I'm trying to be mm-hmm. anabolic, there's no way that alcohol is going to have a role in that. And I think that sometimes the symptoms of perimenopause are confused with the symptoms of lifestyle choices. And how do you help women kind of parse that out? <laughs> I think this is where the conversation piece, and it's finding somebody who actually is there to listen and look at things holistically. It's not about a symptom-based approach and going, oh, you have this symptom, we'll do this test, we'll fix it. No, it's looking at that sort of overall holistic viewpoint. Um, and a lot of the times, I spend most of my time just sat listening. Um, and just letting people talk because the more information you get, the more you get to know your patient, you get to know the person, you actually go, hold on, now this makes sense. Have you thought about it? So it's then bringing that into light and looking at the behavior changes that can be made. Uh, And it's not easy. You know, this is not about fixing everything overnight. These things take time. Somebody's been overweight or obese, it's been 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You're not going to, I don't want anyone to lose that (laughs) over three months because it's going to come back with a vengeance. It's doing it in a sustainable way where you look at things in the long term so that once you get to where you need to get to, you are in the best place possible to deal with any stress that comes your way. And this, again, comes into play with the perimenopause, menopause, and also as women getting older, risk of heart disease, chronic conditions, bone health, all of that. So when I went to see the doctor, HRT was mentioned to me. Mm -hmm. And my immediate thought was, 
Cancer risk. Yeah. Is there a risk? Is there a link between the two? What would you say to your patients? That is a very good question. And that is what is always making the news. And that's what's been in the studies. And this is one of the reasons sort of in the early 2000s with the Women's Health Initiative, where sort of the data was represented in a certain way, and then it just spiraled from there. Since then, a lot of extra data. Most women, 90% of the female population have a low lifetime risk of breast cancer. Okay, so that I want to start with that. HRT and estrogen alone is not associated with increasing breast cancer and may even lower it. Now, this is for women who have had a hysterectomy, for example, so you don't need that progesterone component to protect the lining of the womb. Also, we've got much newer hormone therapies, so the body-identical treatments, so our gels, patches, eutrogestin, which is a micronized progesterone, there's no increased risk of breast cancer for the first five years of taking it. Also under the age of 60, if I put it into context, the risk is so low that it's actually, a so, um, the risk is lower than if you're overweight or drinking a couple of glasses of wine each night or being sedentary, meaning doing no exercise. So that is just putting it into context. So it's always worth the conversation, but it's not about going, oh gosh, I could never go on it because I don't want to get breast cancer. And I think that's how people tend to look at it, don't mm -hmm. they? They've just heard something. And I think it was a flawed study. Uh, not even flawed. It was just that the, the study was done for a particular reason. And it was also done in older women. Uh, once upon a time, hormone therapy was used more from a prevention point of view. So preventing heart disease, preventing bone health. And it was also much older synthetic hormone therapies. You know, technologies passed, pharmaceuticals have improved. Uh, and what we have now is way superior and, and in a sense safer, more natural as well. So we have to take all of this into context. And it's very individualized. I have, you know, and I have some women who come and say, listen, I'm pretty sure I'll go through the perimenopause soon. I'd like to go on HRT because I don't want to get X, Y, Z. That's not what it's there for. So it needs to be used correctly. Yeah. And that's something, you know, at the Lyft Clinic, what we always say is know your numbers. Mm -hmm. And this refers to know your, v you know, we do exercise yeah. testing, know your VO2 max and your resting metabolic rate. This applies to your iron, right? Know your ferritin level. And this applies mm -hmm. to your hormone profile. I always say, you know, if you are a woman that is 40 and over, get a baseline. Get a baseline, get your hormones tested, see where your estrogen, progesterone, testosterone are falling. That way, in the future, if and when you're experiencing symptoms, you have a baseline against which you can test. And then you can have a sense of what you might need in terms of BHRT or HRT or estrogen replacement. Then you have an idea. But if you have no idea what your numbers were to begin with, then you're really just kind of shooting in the dark for where you have progressed. So this is a bit of a gray area with testing. Mm -hmm. um, generally speaking, the consensus is that are only specific instances to test hormones. If someone's having symptoms under the age of 40 or in their early 40s, now less than sort of one in 100 women will have symptoms under the age of 40, one in 1,000 under the age of 30. So, you know, these are, yes, they sound like biggish numbers, but they're not. So it's always taking that into consideration. If you're in your, you know, depending on where you are, so mid-40s, late-40s, you're symptomatic, 
it's a clinical diagnosis. We don't need to do hormone testing at that point. Another time we do hormone testing is actually if somebody has the marina coil in as part of, yes, contraception once upon a time, but also as part of protecting the lining of the womb if they're on hormone therapy and to help reduce that sort of up and down in your periods, your heavier periods. Then before we remove it, sort of 55, 56, we do a blood test just to make sure you've been through the menopause. And then again, it's a choice. You know, we do therapeutic trials on HRT, on hormone therapy. We can do therapeutic trials off hormone therapy. You're on it one day, you come off it the next day, the hormone's out of your body. So this is not a magic medicine. This is just giving back what the body needs. I love that. So full disclosure, I am on BHRT. Mm -hmm. So I take estrogen, uh, progesterone, Mm -hmm. uh, micronized progesterone, the eugesterone that you mentioned, and testosterone. And I've noticed that any time I feel my symptoms coming back, Mm -hmm. and it's usually the sleep, that's the one that I can tell straight away whether something is not right. You know, I will have to sort of go and figure out how to tweak it. I'll speak to my doctor and I'll say, look, this is coming back. I don't feel great. And I can I can just feel it in my body. Mm-hmm. And I think straight away, you know, you kind of know, I think I've gotten to the point where I'm very, um, I, what's the word? I'm very self-aware, self-aware. Yeah. very self-aware. So, you know, straight away, the the night is the one that gives it away the most. And that's very, very common because at one point in your life, you may need a certain amount of hormone therapy. And then that could change. Mm. So this is why it's not about starting somebody on something and then saying, okay, go away and just carry on. You know, I would do an initial follow-up in a month and three months until we've got the person in a nice steady state. After that, every six months. And this is why actually being on something like hormone therapy, if somebody needs it, you're actually monitored much closer. The screening is up to date, so your breast screening, cervical screening, if you need a pelvic scan, for example, your examinations. So if we're going to pick something up, we're going to pick it up much earlier than somebody who is not having this level of monitoring and screening. Yeah. And I think that's really different in what you're doing, Dr. Tosh, is that you're actually spending time with your patients and you're monitoring them on several markers, not just one. And you're also looking at what is optimal versus what is normal. And I think functional medicine allows you a different paradigm than traditional medicine in that you can get deeper with your patients. And you mentioned the word holistic. I think that is so far describing your approach beautifully. And this is, you know, for us as a clinic, this is what we do. Uh, It's not just about, and I think the privilege we have is time. Um, I still do my NHS work. Do I have time? No, I don't. (laughs) And it's very unfortunate because I would love to do more for 40 patients, 50 patients a day. But (laughs) I'd I'd be there constantly. Um, Whereas having that privilege of time and being able to listen and have that conversation and be able to really look at things holistically, looking at the lifestyle measures. So, you know, medicine 3.0, we're going for the prevention rather than waiting for something to happen and then trying to trying to fix it. So I understand that as you age or after menopause, so post-menopause, your risk factors for certain Mm -hmm. conditions increase. Can you tell us what these risks are and how we can minimise the risks? Lifestyle medicine. (laughs) It's really looking at that prevention piece. So looking at your nutrition, your sleep, your exercise, your mental health and well-being. These are things that we can do Sometimes more easily than other times, but we have to take that responsibility and that's on us. From a risk profile point of view, one, two of the main things are heart disease plus strokes 
and osteoporosis, which is where the bones start to, to thin, which is osteopenia, and then to start to break down. So this, both of these factors, looking at your exercise, your nutrition, your sleep, you could automatically reduce it. In, for women after the menopause, the risk of heart disease is higher than men if they haven't had any heart disease by the age of 50. Other things to look at is urinary symptoms, so recurrent infections, incontinence, especially after childbirth as well. Sexual dysfunction, just because somebody goes through the menopause doesn't mean you stop having sex. Weight gain. Um, so this is where, you know, looking at sleep, generally speaking for an adult, and you may laugh at this, but the average should be 8.5 hours of sleep every night. Oh, I Who wish. gets? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got eight hours last night. Hey, you Actually, go. seven hours ready. and 59 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, well, I was just, you mentioned osteopenia and osteoporosis, mm. and I think that's something that by this point in 2023, most women are aware of. Mm -hmm. But in Asia specifically, we have this other issue of sarcopenia mm -hmm. and muscle loss. And I don't know that women yet are connecting how important their muscle loss is to their bone loss, meaning if they had more, you know, a higher ALMI, a higher skeletal muscle index versus, you know, just looking at bone density mm -hmm. every time, how those two interact. How do you educate your patients about this issue and how do you encourage more women to think about their muscle mass in addition to their bone mass? I think this is something where everyone's striving for this perfect BMI. Um, am I the biggest fan of BMI? No, because it doesn't take into account quite a few things. It's about being healthy. So really looking at your in-body scan, looking at the breakdown of things. So you're looking at your bone mass, your muscle mass. With women, so we do after the age of 50, we say it's recommended to get a bone density scan done. Um, and that's important to look at a baseline. Carrying a little bit more weight within the right range will help with your bone mass. And this is where that strength training and your protein plays a big part. So it's having that conversation and almost educating women to say, you know, it's not this or that. You put it together, it's two for the price of one. Yeah. You know, you're, you're building your muscle mass, you're reducing your chance of sarcopenia, uh, which is loss of muscle mass. And muscle mass can go like this. You, you know, you fracture your wrist, you fracture your uh, lower limb, you notice your calf just go down like this, you notice your forearm and your, um, yeah, muscles just, just drop. So that's why it's important to be consistent with that. So it's that education piece once again. Yeah. And as an aging athlete, right, my concern has shifted so far mm -hmm. away from performance and so far into injury prevention. Yeah. Because exactly what you said, I cannot suffer a lower limb injury because I cannot afford that muscle loss at this age. Yeah. And also from, you know, whether you were uh, an athlete at a high level, or you're still competing, you're doing things socially, it's about that injury prevention. Um, and that's one of the reasons for me is I play a lot of tennis. And I want to be able to be on that court for however long I need to be on and put that work in, in the gym with the nutrition, etc., to make sure that it helps from a quality of life point of view. You mentioned um, risk of cardi so cardiovascular mm -hmm. risk and stroke. Um, my grandmother actually had a stroke when I think she must have been over 50, definitely under 60. And I wonder, had she had been given some form of HRT, whether that may have helped prevent that. And it's crazy because I feel like, you know, there was a whole generation of women who were sort of mm. not given the opportunity to, I guess, manage symptoms, manage other risks in their life. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. It's, it's tough because these are things that can be severely debilitating. 
Um, and also at that time, it's the conversation piece around not just medication, but what can you do to rebuild yourself, um, which unfortunately even now <laughs> is a struggle, um, you know, trying to get the older generation to, to do the work that needs to be done to make sure that sarcopenia doesn't play a role is huge. Now, tough question because, again, hormone therapy is there not to prevent heart disease, but it's for the symptomatic management. Yes, it does help to reduce the risk of heart disease, again, with osteoporosis as well, um, because it's the estrogen component. So we need estrogen for our bones, for our muscles, our ligaments. Um, in the heart, what is a heart? It's a muscle. What are the blood vessels? So again, yes, there is a role to play. It's very hard to look back in retrospect. But again, it's looking at your grandmother as an individual and looking at, okay, what happened at that time and what may have helped her. But here's the situation now and how can we move forward with it? And this is where that sort of lifestyle piece plays a huge role. What can husbands and partners do to help support their wives during this period? Because obviously we're, we can become psycho bitches, right? <laughs> you know, like, so much shit going on. And some men may not understand what is happening, obviously, psychologically, emotionally. How can they support their wives during this crazy period in our life? I think this is where the conversation piece comes in, starting conversations early. And also as, you know, with families, if you have, if you have sons, daughters, um, it's starting that early because it's looking at it from a period point of view, going through those teenage years. Most mums going through perimenopause are likely to have teenagers at home. So can you imagine the hormones surging in that household? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I had newborn babies. So oh, I was yeah. just like, I don't know, what's worse? <laughs> newborn twins as well. <laughs> and a toddler. Yeah. So for me, that conversation piece, and sometimes it's hard as a couple to start that conversation. So, you know, use a healthcare provider, use online resources. There are, you know, there are videos done by, um, by husbands about how they helped um, manage sort of symptoms with their wives. Also for, for partners and in the workplace, to know and understand people working with them, for them, above them, when you start to notice changes, to be able to offer that support. Um, it's not always easy because you have to, there's a lot of compromise. But again, it's looking at, right, how can we work together? Can we look at our sleep together? So let's make sure, you know, we're both sleeping at the same time, waking up at the same time, because even a slight shift in that, if someone's sleeping a bit earlier, waking up a bit earlier, a little bit of light that comes on, yeah, it advances your, you know, um, sort of circadian rhythm and changes things. So that's a good piece, looking at exercising together. Yeah. And looking at nutrition together at home. Because if you do it as a family, you're also te uh, teaching your young children, your teenagers, how to eat better so that as they grow up, this is the norm. Yeah. So it's not, you know, you've already learned what the norm is. So as you grow up, you know exactly what to do. Yes, there'll be times you go have your kebab after a night out. <laughs> Still has protein. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Get a bit of salad in there, you know. <laughs> but all I'm saying is it's about making good things the normal so that you're not having to make that effort. So exercising shouldn't be an effort. You know, go for a cycle together as a family. Go for a walk together as a family. Do a Joe Wicks online program as a family. Um, but it's just making things as normal as possible. And doing it together makes a big difference.
it's funny you say that to do it as a family because my boys know now that I always prioritize their protein and they'll say to me mommy I'm full but if I eat all my protein can I finish can I be done I'm like yes okay fine technically yes (laughs) you can so um one of the things that I realized is that when you are going through all of this sometimes and other people are not going through it at the same time you are how can you how can you better sort of find the support that you need? Because people don't talk about it. And I think whenever I used to say, oh, I'm going through menopause, I'd be like, they'd get the response, what, already? Really? And I'm like, well, yeah, it can happen at any time. And that's actually a common misconception that menopause happens when you're older. Mm. And this is why a lot of women, a lot of people will not think about it or talk about it because the assumption is, oh, I'm fine, I'm not old enough. But as I mentioned earlier, you know, less than one in a hundred under the age of 40, less than one in a thousand under the age of 30. And this is where I have to say with, and this is the beauty of where social media has played a big part over the last year to 18 months, is getting that message out, getting people talking about it. It's actually to a certain extent a bit of a problem in the UK because we can't cope with the demand. Um, and that is because from a time point of view, you don't have the luxury of time. But I think with uh, access to pharmacies, with access to pharmacists who can have that conversation, so using that multidisciplinary team, uh, nurse practitioners, general practitioners, uh, specialists in hospital, it's we have to work as a team. And I think for women, just keep talking. You know, if if your own friends shut you down, you keep talking. If you have, you see a healthcare provider who shuts you down, you keep going, you find the person who will listen. And that can take time. Um, yeah, I think the, the keep talking part is so important and so different from our parents' generation. You know, you mentioned that your grandmother had had a stroke and, and maybe, you know, if HRT could have helped her. I think about my own mother, you know, she went through postpartum depression and was told, not real, not a thing, you don't need anything. She went through a very long, almost decade-long menopause and was told again the same. You just white knuckle it. You don't need anything. This is normal. And I think, you know, had she just been born a little bit later, you know, and been in, in my generation with access to information mm-hmm. and professionals that are reassuring her, you know, it's definitely one thing to talk about it with a friend. But it's something to be told by your healthcare professional. You are not crazy. This, this, and this are things you can try. Here's some actionable tools I can put in your hands. And my mom never had that. And I think that the talk is the first step. And health professionals that are supportive and willing to give actionable tools is that second step. Thank you. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm even, you know, here I do all these talks. We as a practice will do all these education pieces is because we want people to be empowered. We want them to have the right information. Uh, and also it's it's about looking at other causes to things. You know, yes, a lot of the times it's a perimenopause, menopause, but we rule other things out. You know, we need to make sure that is there something else going on? Could this be your thyroid? Could you be diabetic? Could it be your kidneys, your liver? So we look at all of that and also look at the screening side of things. So this is where health screening plays a big part. And actually, Singapore is very good with health screening. It's just making sure you get the explanation rather than just going to get the (laughs) test done. (laughs) So would you say then that if you feel any different in your normal self, 
you know, whether you are feeling a little bit more anxious or, you know, you are getting that little bit of joint pain, you should go and see somebody and then question further, why is this happening now and could it be perimenopause? Absolutely. It's always worth the conversation. It's not going and saying, I am going through the perimenopause, (laughs) you know. Yeah, you could be, but it's also looking at your symptoms overall and saying, actually, could it also be X, Y, Z? We need to rule out those organic causes. And it's a really good time then to just get a health screen done. Just make sure you're on top of things. Make sure your breast screening is up to date, your cervical screening, all of that to chat about other things and also look at the preventative side of things and starting at any point. It's never too late. You're 70, you're 80. Get going. Start, you know, lifting a bag of peas. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Get, fill up your water bottle. Fill up your water <laughs> you bottle. Know? Go for a walk. Yeah. See how, you know, even if it's uh, up and down in your living room, time it. Can you do it faster? Ooh, I like, ooh, you're speaking yeah. to the athlete in me, oh, girl. there you go. It's like, you know, it's funny what you just said about that. I had, so my, my parents are visiting, they're 74, and I was reading my, one of my favorite weekly newsletters from Arnold Schwarzenegger, yep. health guru <laughs> and, you know, life advisor life. to me personally. <laughs> and he was talking about the sit-to-stand test. It is. And I thought, you know what? My parents are over 65. Let's hit up the sit-to-stand test. And they loved it. They took it on like it was me taking on high rocks this weekend. You know, they were like, let's do this. And then, when, you know, I didn't tell them the norm to begin with, you know, so they hit their number and then I was like, well, this is the average and they're like, oh, let me do it again. Let me do it again. You <laughs> know, don't, that. I guess the message there, right, is don't underestimate older people for having the vim and vigor to take on physical challenges and to make lifestyle changes. Absolutely. You know, don't assume that they're just heading out to pasture. They they want to be vibrant and, and in control of their health as much as we do. Couldn't agree more. This is looking at it from not a lifespan point of view, which is how long you live, but your health span your quality of life, that marginal decade, which is your last 10 years of life, you need to be living it to the full. But you start early. But again, it's never too late. It's always looking at that quality of life. When I found out that I was going through perimenopause, I think it was a couple of nights later, I had a dream. And in that dream, I felt like I'd fast forwarded my life by 10 years, which I kind of probably felt like it had happened and I was trying to work out, did I do this? I used to be a serial yo-yo dieter, always trying out different things. I have had different hormonal issues. And so I'm looking back and thinking, did I do this to myself? Was this my fault? And then after that point, I thought to myself, right, it doesn't matter now where I've got to, I'm now going to make a change. And it was almost like a switch in my head, a a mindset shift. And I thought, from this point onwards, it's not going to be about how I look or how much weight I gain. It's going to be about making sure that I'm strong and I'm healthy, especially for my boys, because like I said, they were babies at the time. And I wanted to be able to be there for them and do things. I didn't want to be that mum who, you know, couldn't keep up with the boys. And so I felt like for me, that was the driving force on making a change in my lifestyle. Yeah. And you need that where it needs to come from you. You know, as a healthcare professional, I can tell you till I'm blue in the face, till you're blue in the face, here's what you need to do. But until that behavior change, that switch flips, (laughs) it has to come from the person. 
Yeah. And then that's where that constant conversation, we keep addressing it, we keep addressing it. And there'll be something where, you know, in your case, it was the boys. And it's not just about being able to be there for them. It's also looking at as you get older, from a travel point of view, from a quality of life point of view, grandchildren, you want to be able to pick up your grandchildren. You want to be able to, when you're on a flight or on a bus, anything, to be able to pick up your own little hand carry-on and put it up instead of somebody else doing that for you. If you have a fall at home, you want to be able to get up with your one hand rather than being on the floor for three days until somebody finds you. So, you know, it's about day-to-day practical things and how you can start early to reduce the risks for you as you get older. And I think that, again, is, is a way, you know, one of the recurrent themes that we've been talking about here is like women needing to take charge mm-hmm. of their own health and women needing to own their own identities. And I think that exactly that by encouraging them to make these better lifestyle choices as an act of empowerment and an act of self-reliance, you know, for your for your eventual future, I think that is a complete reframing from what our parents were told. Yeah, absolutely. It's that reframing and and also what we have access to now compared to once upon a time. The amount of data we have I'm love data, love research, because that's what we base our advice on. And yes, sometimes we don't always get it right. And then we say, listen, we're sorry, we didn't get it right. But here's the new data. Here's how we move forward. Um, But that's the whole point. And it's that constant learning experience as well. Thank you, Dr. Tashi. It has been absolutely wonderful. But before we finish off, we do have one more question to ask you. And we want to know, what is your prescribed 40s formula? What piece of advice or wisdom would you like to share with our listeners about navigating this next phase of their life? I think this is such a brilliant question and a great way to to end a fantastic uh, conversation, really, a chat. You're going to hear the same things from me. Prioritize your sleep, protein up, lift some weights and manage your stress early. In your 40s, you're likely to be juggling a lot, you know, career, family, the good and not so good stress that comes with it. So be a little bit selfish. Prioritize self-care and emotional well-being so that you can thrive. Love that. Incredible. Take that one to the bank. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Dr. Tash. It was amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. This is Paul, our editor. He's a 25-year-old unmarried Singaporean guy listening to the ramblings of 12 older women on everything from menopause to weightlifting to sex. Paul, what's your thoughts on today's conversation? Hey, hey, hello there again. Um, so for me, I'll be honest, this isn't exactly my area of interest or expertise as well. Um, I mean, let's be real. I'm a guy in my 20s and menopause is just not something that I'll ever go through, I guess. <laughs> uh, but, well, for me, I guess I, I, I do have a partner and it is interesting to better understand what menopause is um, from the perspective at least like when she gets to the station live further down the road. So, great topic. All right, catch you guys soon. See y'all. Hey guys, did you know that you can leave us questions and comments on FanList? That's right. On fanlist.com slash the 40s formula, you can leave us a voice note where you can ask us anything, leave us your feedback, or just say hi. And now, a word from listener Balwant09. Wow, episode one was so empowering. I fucking love it. Balwant, we fucking love you too. (laughs) Thank you. Before we go, please remember to hit subscribe and take a moment to support The 40s Formula by leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews will help us to reach more people and allow us to continue to bring valuable content. It should only take a moment and it's a free way for you to support the show. 
You can also stay updated with The 40s Formula by following us on Instagram at The 40s Formula, all one word. We share behind-the-scenes insights, episode updates, and much more, so please be sure to hit that follow button. We appreciate your time and support. Thank you for being part of this community, and we'll be back next week for more empowering conversations with inspiring guests. Bye. being confident enough to say, yes, I'll come for brunch, but no, I'm not having that bruisy brunch. Yeah. I'm still there. I'm still, yeah. you know, I don't need to be drunk to have a conversation yeah. with you. Uh, <laughs> I'll probably yeah, remember a lot more if I wasn't. Because um, we were just saying, like, this, this yeah. first season, right, is yeah. all about just establishing yeah. experts in these areas yeah. of relevance to the 40s, right? Yeah. And then we can get into, like, little things. Absolutely. I said we could do a whole episode on alcohol. Oh, I think so. A Absolutely. whole episode yeah. on how women in their yeah. 40s are using alcohol and it's being crunch. honest. Yeah. Like, yeah. you're using it as a crutch yeah. to get through what is a difficult yeah. time. And we've, we've yeah. established all the reasons why. And, man, and you, you touched upon that in your talk as well, didn't you? I do remember you talking about, you know, like, just having that glass of wine because you just want to... But it's not actually helping. No, it's just it putting not. a plaster over. Yes. It's all. And this is what? Yeah. The more plasters you get, yeah. what happens? Yeah. It just tops. So you're not That's getting it. to the root cause of things. Yeah.